Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Are you are you empathizing with me? I, it must be hard. I mean, you've got so much on your shoulders. Well, you've got a talk show, podcast. Yes, you're in a writer's room. You've got 18 kids. Listen, a super I, busy listen, wife. I appreciate you're, that. You're a, you're, I appreciate that. You create all kinds of. You're a, a political flashpoint. You know, uh, often often attacked in the media. But I'm hold just on, looking, hold on. Let's I'm not, drinking let's, you in. Let's not lose sight of how hard it is to be you, oh. Rain. I mean, a wash in royalty checks. Wow. Uh, yeah. Knowing that at any, literally at any moment in the day, yeah. somewhere in the world, mm-hmm. your face is on television. That's That's got to be hard. That's got to be be difficult. Probably thousands uh, of televisions. Thousands of televisions. Tens of thousands. <laughs> hundreds of thousands. Yes, yes. Of screens. I'm just saying you're everywhere and it's got to yeah. be difficult, you know. Yeah. You've got your own zonkey. I mean, it must be very difficult to own your own half donkey, half zebra. Care and feeding of a zonkey is no joke. It's not a joke. Wow, look at... Um, that look was at, amazing. We were really empathetic there. We were there. so empathetic. I feel like I was more empathetic than you, but still. Maybe a little more. Yeah, I empathize with that. It must yeah. be hard being so empathetic. It, it is not easy. But I wonder if out there there are any limits to this empathy thing. Okay, so Reza, have are you an empathetic guy? I mean, are, are you a compassionate guy? I, I guess. I mean, like, I want to think of myself in that way. But are you really though? Are you really in your heart connected to those people we see every day? The invisibles, the people we drive by, the people at the dry cleaners, the guy rolling the dumpster down the side of the street. Uh, do you really have empathy for the other? No. I mean, honestly, no. Like, uh, I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me where I'll be, like, walking down the street and I'll see, like, a panhandler kind of sure. you know, in the in, coming. I'm getting closer and closer to him. You're driving, like, a freeway and, off-ramp or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. And, 
and you know, I'll just the whole time be thinking it's fine. I'm just going to ignore this person. And then of course I get stopped at the red light. Right there. Right there. And I do what a lot of people do, right? I just like look out the window. Suddenly there's something fascinating yep. in the glove compartment. I'm like rearranging my paperwork. You've got to check your emails. <laughs> you something else Anything not to make eye contact. Because eye contact means I acknowledge you and now I have to do something I for su- you. I salute the divine within hap- you. Th- you know, funny thing happened to me the other day. This happened and my son was in the, in the car and my, my seven-year-old basically was like, Hey, Dad, um, I think that guy needs some help. <laughs> and of course, like a good dad, I was like, Oh, who, what guy? That, oh, oh, I, I did, didn't even notice him. Had I noticed him, of course I would have empathized. And now, of course, I had to go and get a dollar and give it to him just to be a good dad. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, the truth is, is that my empathy definitely has limits. I, I have the ability to put like empathy blinders on. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like if I mm-hmm. don't if I don't see you, if I don't acknowledge you, then I don't have to necessarily right. empathize with you. I have empathy when I've got time and space for empathy. But if I'm rushed, if I'm impatient, I got some place to go, if I'm thinking about 20 different things, I don't have time for for no empathy. But um, there's a, a study from the Stanford Social Neuroscience Laboratory that posits that there are all these different aspects of modern life that disconnect us and disengage us. And all these different forces at work kind of prevent us from being empathetic. Um, or they, maybe one can say, allow us to not be empathetic. Yes, allow us to not right. be. Because we're in this culture of outrage and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're in our little silos on our social media, um, yeah. all banding together with the people that we 100% agree with and railing against right. the others. So we see outsiders and people different um, as, as symbols of groups of people that we fear and hate. That's a really interesting thing about empathy, right, is that uh, it requires some kind of connectivity, some kind yep. of connection. Like the person has to you, have to, you have to find some, some something that you have a relationship so with, So here's right? a true story. Here's a true story. The happiest person on earth was a practicing Buddhist monk in Wisconsin. And they did an MRI test on him. And they found the, 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 literally the, the happiest brain scan they had ever found before, where all the happiness, joy, contentment centers were lit up like a Christmas tree. And what he was doing is he was doing this Buddhist meditation on compassion. And this Buddhist meditation, I actually learned about this meditation. And I teach it when I teach young people. Um, and I have them practice it. And you, you start really small and you go really big and then you go really small again. So you start with like compassion for, you know, a dog on the street and then the people of a town and then the people of a country and then you you have compassion for everyone on the whole earth and then you bring it back down and you have compassion for yourself. And it's a beautiful meditation to do. And this is the happiest person uh, that literally scientifically charted was having maximum compassion for all 7 billion of us on the planet. So I guess what that means is that if you can practice empathy, if you can practice compassion yeah. to as many people as possible, yeah. visible and invisible, visible is easy, let's face it, okay? It's the invisible people that's hard to, to you know, practice compassion and empathy. It's good for you. 
Yeah, it actually, there is a benefit. There's to a it. payoff. Hmm. There's actually a payoff, and this is this is what always rankles me. Like everything that we're taught in our culture, um, and I always go off on this, but I don't care. Everything that our culture tries to shove down our throats. Oh, this will make you happy. Stuff and status and sex will make you happy. But actually, it's always the opposite. It's always service to others and compassion for others. And those are things that actually, scientifically, psychologically, and spiritually have been proven for eons uh, will bring you the greatest satisfaction and joy in your life. Well, then I guess the question is, is why don't we do it? Well, what yeah, keeps us from... It's too hard. It's too fucking hard. It's hard. It's hard. hard. It's easier just to I got places to go, man. I got to... <laughs> You know, my sunroof on my Tesla's broken. <laughs> I'm really, I'm not kidding. I got to get it taken care of. And uh, it's a pain in the ass. So we're going to talk to someone who is an expert on so many things. Hard to describe what her expertise is, but certainly it has something to do with getting us all to care for one another a little bit more deeply. Yeah, and I would go one step further and say to care specifically for those people that we are primed to not notice. Yes. Right? Yes. Right? It's easy to care for people that you notice. Exactly. You've got people in your family. You've got your dogs, your neighbors, your aunt and uncle. I'm going to help my neighbor out. I'm going to help those people out. Sure, no problem. But if you're invisible to me, if I don't notice you— Then I can just go to bed at night. I don't feel bad about it. Yeah. You know? And what our guest does is she gets you to notice the invisible people, the people that you that you ignore. And, and this is, I think, the real miracle mm-hmm. of what she really does, is that she gets you to care for them. She gets you to see them. Aijin Pu is a lifelong activist and political organizer. She's the director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance. She is the co-founder of Supermajority, which is organizing women across America to get engaged in politics. Author of The Age of Dignity, Preparing for the Elder Boom in a Changing America. This is Ai-Jen Poo. I just... um helped to start a new women's organization with Alicia Garza and Cecile Richards and a group of really badass women organizers. And we asked women who signed up in the first month, about 100,000 women signed up in the first month. And there's a survey and we asked them what their superpower was. And the number one answer was empathy. Wow. Hmm. You're working with um, domestic workers, they're they're very poor and they're mostly they're unseen. So can we see this population better? Can we get to know them better? Can we love them better through empathy? Well, this is where I feel conflicted because I actually feel so proud that women said empathy was their superpower and I actually think it's an important value and I have questions about its limits because it still requires a line between you and me. I still have to be separate in order to feel empathy for you. Whereas I feel like love to me draws a circle around us both. Ah. And I wonder if there's a, a way that 
the challenge is really about how we expand the we. I mean, the workforce that I represent is a perfect example. The job of the women that I represent is literally to uphold the dignity of an older person and see their humanity and lift it up so that they can have a dignified quality of life as they get older, or to nurture the human potential in a child. These families are counting on these women for the most important aspects of their lives, Mm -hmm. presumably. And so it's all there, all the natural ingredients of interdependence, clearly, Um, love, care, it's all there. And that's why I've stayed in this field for so long is because I actually think if we can figure it out here where it seems like everything is hitting so close to home, no pun intended, like really it's a laboratory for understanding humanity and it's all of its complexities. So that's something really interesting that you said in there is kind of the struggling with empathy because you see empathy as something that separates us still. It's like, oh, here I am having this experience. I'm having this relatively positive experience. And though, oh, I see this other person having a difficult struggle and I'm feeling for them. And there's kind of almost a pity that's involved and it's me versus you and us having separate experiences versus love that connects us, that... uh, that brings us together, that sees us as one. Exactly. Mother Teresa said, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten we belong to each other. That's right. That sense of belonging to each other is what I feel like we need to get to. And empathy may be a first step Mm. to bring us into a different kind of proximity to one another, to care. Mm. But ultimately, where we need to get to is a sense of that oneness, of that sense of belonging to each other. And that is what I think we lack. So how do we, how do we get there? Uh, how do, well, how, how do you get here's there? the problem, Rain. Yeah. So here's, I mean, you know, I feel like there's this, there's this uh, thing that we're kind of dancing around and not really zeroing in on. Okay. Because to talk about empathy and this importance of like understanding ourselves as belonging to each other is there is a racial component here yeah. that that we can't argue. So I'm really, really fascinated by sort of the, the neuroscience of of all this. And the craziest thing that I just learned was that the the same part of our brain that is essentially responsible for empathy, right? The the part in our brain that um, allows us to experience uh, similar feelings as somebody who is uh, in pain or hurting or whatever, how empathy works. The exact same part of the brain that creates empathy is also the part of the brain that uh, allows us to distinguish ourselves from other people. Hmm. So, Here's the problem then, (laughs) and there's been tons of evidence uh, about this. It now creates a situation, and I can understand why there's an evolutionary reason for this, Sure. um, in which we show greater empathy for people who look more like us and less empathy 
for people who don't. There was actually this entire uh, study done where they found that people, when showed a, a photo of a, of a person um, making a particular like fearful face or a pained face or whatever, that uh, if that photo was of the same race as the the viewer, mm. um, it had a greater activation in in their amygdala than if it was of a different race. And here we're talking about, let's be honest, people who are primarily uh, from Latin American countries, right? I mean, a, a lot of domestic workers, mm -hmm. uh, uh, housekeepers, yeah, um, day laborers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're women. They're, they're people of color. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it becomes that much easier to just make them invisible. You know, it's just yet another obstacle to this whole notion of, you know, the key is recognizing the oneness that we all share. Well, how do we do that when our brains don't work that way? Hey, folks, I just wanted to say that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your joy, your vitality? BetterHelp can assist with your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. And it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. This is professional counseling, and it's done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, uh, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, which can be awkward. Hey, it's that guy from the office. He's in this therapy waiting room. Oh, he must be pretty fucked up. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available if you need it. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit betterhelp.com slash milkshake. That's better, B-E-T-T-E-R, help, H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Now, don't forget the special offer for Metaphysical Milkshake listeners. You can get 10% off your first month if you go to betterhelp.com slash milkshake. Take care of yourself, people. Milkshake listeners, milkshake drinkers, maybe you want to eat something a little more healthy than a milkshake. Well, try Green Chef. Did you see what I did there? Green Chef has a meal plan for every healthy lifestyle. It's got a keto, a paleo, plant-powered diets. You know, if you just want to have delicious but balanced dishes, Green Chef is the way to go. It's got expert chefs, and they curate every recipe with over 30 meal choices every week. Take homemade, plant-based meals to the next level with Green Chef's plant-powered options. Or want to watch your carb intake? Their keto and paleo options will give you the premium proteins and vital veggies you need to conquer your day. I have tried some of these delightful little entrees, and I'm telling you, they will uh, spice up your week. They're great. What I love about Green Chef is not only is the food delicious, not only are the ingredients fresh, not only are the recipes new and unique, my kids loved the Mediterranean stuff that I got, but the entire thing was recyclable. The ice packs that it came in were recyclable. And I just, I mean, that was it, man. Once I saw that, I was like, I am a Green Chef customer for life. So 
Go to greenchef.com slash milkshake100. Greenchef.com slash milkshake100 and use code milkshake100 to get $100 off, including free shipping. That's incredible. That's greenchef.com slash milkshake100 and use the code milkshake100 to get $100 off, including free shipping. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Well, I think the other thing about humans, which is um, which is unique to us as mammals, I think, is that we are able to make meaning, um, make different kinds of meaning and shift in our consciousness and even our deeply held beliefs. I mean, if we think about the shift that this country has made on how the dominant cultural sentiment around the freedom to love who you choose— Right, there was a set of deeply held norms and beliefs that we had culturally that was that was not acceptable, not appropriate, not okay. And now it is the mm. norm, mm. right? It is, and mm. there are still some people who think it's not okay. But as a culture, we've shifted, we've made different meaning, and I think that one of the big challenges we have right now is that there's kind of a chaos of meaning (laughs) where, Mm -hmm. you know, there's one set of people in this country who've been basically fed one set of stories about why they're suffering, why they're no jobs, right? They've been told that it's the brown people, it's the immigrants, it's the people of color who are to blame when we know it's not, right? But that's the story. They had meaning makers who helped them make that meaning and it also means that we can help them make different meaning. So, what do we what do we do? Let's start with the institution for for a moment because I feel like that's weirdly easier than mm-hmm. you know. It's easier to change the institution than it is to change the individual. How, how do we how do we embed empathy in our economy? I think we look for ways of changing our laws and our systems to really support economic, what I call economic dignity, right? The the notion that when we work, we should be able to provide for our families and we should be able to take pride in what we do because it actually does have value. We should be seen, we should be recognized, and we should have basic dignity afforded to us. And there's a set of policies that would really support that and invest in that. And bringing people together around those policies is incredibly unifying. I've been working on strengthening our family care policies for years, and the work of bringing families who are really struggling to afford child care and elder care together with the workforce that works incredibly hard but earns an average of $15,000 per year for their work, together to say, how do we create systems that make care affordable and accessible, good care affordable and accessible, and really invests in our caregivers in a new way? That, I think, you could, there's clear ways to actually embed that institutionally. Caregivers have so much empathy for the older people that they support who are frail and really dependent on them. And a lot of the consumers of care are elders, people like my grandmother and others, 
know that they would be lost without their caregivers, right? There's a complete sense of dependence that could be a place where a ton of empathy is cultivated for our broader society. I believe in the end, these values are majoritarian values, but sometimes we have to help people see that and see the way forward. Besides legislation, which you're very involved in, you're talking about love uniting us all Mm -hmm. and empathy, you know, connecting us on some far deeper, more profound level. What, What do we do besides legislate to change the attitudes in people's hearts? I think we have to do precisely that. We have to change culture and we have to change the narrative. Our culture is structured around a hierarchy of human value that values the lives and contributions of people of color less than those of white people. And we have a lot of truth-telling and unearthing to do culturally in this country to understand our history, to understand the human cost of that hierarchy of human value, and in order to get to a place of starting to change it. Um, Brian Stevenson always says that in truth and reconciliation, it's actually sequential, that we have to have truth before we can have reconciliation. And we've never as a country fully faced the history and trajectory of racism in America in a way that will allow us to never go back and to allow us to embody a different way of being, like deep in our in our consciousness and our soul. But I feel like that story has been told. It's been told in textbooks and it's told you know, in the media and in movies, but to a certain set of people, you know, generally racist white people, you tell them that story and they're like, boo-hoo-hoo, okay, they were slaves a long time ago and civil rights was a long time ago. Get over it. Stop playing the victim and just get on with your lives. I'm not a racist. My dad's not a racist. We stop complaining and can we just all move forward? And that story is, that story falls on deaf ears. I think that it is how the story is told really matters. And that story is part of a story of how we become a healthy, multiracial democracy. And what is, I mean, right now the battle in this country is a battle over the story of who we are, Mm. who belongs, and who we can become. And if... If we told the story in such a way that really talks about an an American identity that is fundamentally pluralistic, where we can actually take pride in that, Mm. and we have reason to take pride in that, and the pain that we've been through that we have to acknowledge allows us to really leverage the beauty and the dynamism of a multiracial future, that's, I think, the, that's the key. Maybe we're telling the wrong story. Yep. It, it, maybe the story is not about America's race problem, but about America's caste problem. Hmm. You know? I mean, hmm. it, it's so funny because like we, we talk like about— Caste like in India, like 
cast like, like in yeah, India, right? Yeah. yeah, for the people who are unfamiliar, you know, a, a, a large part of Indian society, very much, you know, um, tinged by um, its majority religion of Hinduism, is predicated on this notion that. Look, there are just different uh, castes in society. There are some people who, uh, because, you know, past lives, because they just simply deserve it, are rich and wealthy and comfortable and visible. And there are people who are poor and uh, invisible, and it's just how it is. And that so much of that goes against the very, you know, uh, ethos of America, right? We're a meritocracy, bullshit. Um, anyone in this country can make it, bullshit. Um, why don't we? Why don't we just admit it? Why don't we just admit it? That that's not true. That we have a caste system in America as well. Uh, the the people who clean up after the people who make the messes, mm. and that's a story that we need to start telling. What I like about that story is the rate, the caste system is about both race and class. Mm-hmm. That it acknowledges the economic reality, the combination and the interdependence of racial um, exclusion and economic exclusion. And that f- feels really important to me in this moment. And a huge part of why this meaning-making piece is important because I do think that there's a set of people, white people in this country, who are really struggling economically, like legitimately, losing jobs, l- losing wages. Um, and yeah, they won't do. They won't do the office reboot. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. This, no, that was a really important point. Um, <laughs> Um, That's how we roll, iGen, here at Metaphysical <laughs> Milkshake, okay? This, by the way, is the most serious we've ever been on a podcast so far. Sorry, I don't want to make us serious. I can no, give you no, some laughs. This is important. This no, is, this is I'm, a big deal. I'm the comic relief, okay? Let's let's keep keep going. Yes, so there's a there's a whole strata of white people out there that are really hurting Who are really hurting. And they're afraid for their futures. And they're afraid for mm-hmm. their futures, and they're probably like, this thing, white privilege that people are talking about, I really don't feel it. I do not mm. feel privileged yeah. in this country. They're in a trailer park, and their coal mining job's taken away, and a bunch of their families hooked on opioids, and they're scared. Right. And, uh, and really struggling. A hundred percent. And—, and what they don't know that they need to know is their best allies and their power to change their realities is locked up in a multiracial future, right? They have mm. to, their best allies are other working class black and brown people who are also struggling. And if we, made this economy and this democracy worked for that multiracial majority of working people in this country, so much would be different. Do you ever get excited by a five-star driver rating? Let's be honest, ratings matter a lot. And when it comes to finding healthcare, ratings matter even more. ZocDoc is an app where you compare doctors by their ratings and read reviews from real patients. So you can find and book highly rated local doctors. Just download the free ZocDoc app. It's the easiest way to find a great doctor. 
Instantly, you can book an appointment with a doctor that's available to you nearby. With ZocDoc, you can search for local doctors who take your insurance, read verified patient reviews, and book an appointment in person or video chat. Never wait on hold with a receptionist again. Whether you need a primary care physician, dentist, dermatologist, psychiatrist, eye doctor, or other specialist, ZocDoc has got you covered. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I can say with all honesty, I am one of them. Just a few weeks ago, I needed to see a doctor. I needed to see it right away. I didn't know where to go. What am I going to do? Like Google doctors around me? I honestly had no idea how to find a doctor. I went, signed up, found a doctor near me, made an appointment for the next day, which is like impossible to do. Went to go see the doctor. It was fantastic. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy. Now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com slash milkshake and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. Show Metaphysical Milkshake some love and use our code. That's ZocDoc.com slash milkshake. When your online checking account balance is running low, the last thing you need is a $33 overdraft fee. Am I right, people? I mean, overdraft fees have gotten way out of hand. In 2019, traditional banks took $11 billion in overdraft fees. Now, Chime does things a little differently. Chime is an award-winning app and debit card that has saved its members more than $10 billion in overdraft fees with SpotMe fee-free Overdraft. Eligible members can overdraft up to $200 on debit card purchases and cash withdrawals with absolutely no fees. You know, one of our life's big questions should be to explore the current American capitalist financial institutions and systems because it's pretty screwed up. I don't like to give banks all my money. This is a good idea. Chime. Check it out. You deserve to have financial peace of mind. Join the millions of Americans already loving Chime. Sign up only takes two minutes and doesn't affect your credit score. Get started today at Chime.com slash milkshake. That's Chime, C-H-I-M-E dot com slash milkshake. Banking services provided by and debit card issued by the Bancorp Bank or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements apply. Overdraft only applies to debit card purchases and cash withdrawals. Limits start at $20 and may be increased up to $200 by Chime. Chime member overdraft fee savings based on eligible members' use of SpotMe versus a $33 average overdraft fee. Overdraft fee data based on bank rate checking account survey and CRL June 2020 overdraft fees report. I got a question for you, um, Ijan. I mean, you're... I mean, so much of your work and your life and your personality, it just oozes with empathy. But I wonder if you've ever in your life have struggled to find empathy for someone. And uh, and what did you do? I'll tell this one story. Uh, one of the first women I met doing this work with domestic workers was a nanny from Jamaica named Lily. Um, and she had been brought from Jamaica by a a family from Texas. They were executives in a 
um, software company. And they brought her and they had offered her mother that if she came to be their nanny, their live-in nanny to help raise their children, that she would get access to a U.S. education. She could go to high school in the United States. She would get a weekly salary that would get sent home to her mother. And so they all thought it was a great opportunity. And she went to Texas with them. And she ended up holding up her end of the bargain. She helped to raise their children as a live-in nanny. But she was never allowed to go to school. All communication with her family was cut off. So her family actually didn't hear from her for 15 years. And she was never paid for her time working there. What? she, She was essentially enslaved for 15 years. And she saw an article in the newspaper. Tell me the family. I'm going over there right now with a pickaxe. <laughs> Who's the family? I mean, that's how I felt when I heard about the story. And what's amazing, there's so many amazing dimensions of this story. So we end up helping her escape the situation. And the other person who helped her escape was the child that she helped to raise as a nanny who became old enough to realize that what was happening to his nanny was wrong. And he took the money from his piggy bank to help her escape. Um, And then she was able to connect to us. We found her a lawyer and we had the conversation with her about whether she wanted to press criminal charges for being essentially enslaved for 15 years. And she said, no, she didn't want to press criminal charges because she didn't want the children to grow up without their parents. Mm. Mm. That's incredibly generous. So she then... So she had great empathy for those kids. So she had empathy for those kids who she loved and cared for for 15 years. And I was... Like, what? (laughs) No way. And she, you know, we, of course, we filed a civil lawsuit and we recovered some tiny fraction of the wages in a settlement in that case. I mean, how do you repay stealing 15 years from a person's life, right? So I just was angry and couldn't unfathom, but I learned so much from her incredible act of empathy towards those children that it's actually, that it is possible and maybe in fact necessary for us to both have a deep sense of empathy and caring and be able to seek justice at the same time, right? That perhaps in our fight to address injustice and inequality, that we have to both be clear and vigilant about that and at the same time never lose the thread of humanity and empathy. That's beautiful. We're here having this conversation uh, about caring for others. And I'm remembering our very first episode. Reza, remember that way back in the in the day? It feels like so long ago. We were talking I, uh... about our life's biggest questions and issues. And oh. Your life's biggest question, for however many dozen people were listening to that episode, was... The thing that keeps you up at night is a question of whether you're doing enough for others and caring enough for others. And you were positing it as like, is it enough for me to just care for my family, for instance? How... Yeah, how? Who am I responsible to? What's my tribe? How? How big does that tribe go? Do I care for everyone around me? But, um, so how? How would you answer Reza's greatest yeah, question? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, is that? Is there a limit to how much empathy a person can have? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. I know that sounds weird. Yeah, there's an earthquake an in issue. Burma. Or there's a tidal wave in, you know, North Korea. Or, like, we have empathy for all of these people that are hurting. Mm-hmm. What's my responsibility? This is, yeah, this is the thing that keeps me up at night. Mm-hmm. Where I think, like, am I doing enough? Am I caring for, you know, the, the people around me? Um, yeah, I mean, is, is there is there a, a limit to this? I think it's really great and important that you're asking that question. Um, what's hard about this moment is that we actually are living in a time of existential crisis in our country. There are times, I think, in the life of a country where history moves faster than others. And it's times of massive transformation, which we're undergoing. It's like the 1930s, 20s and 30s, right? It's another industrial revolution, but you layer on top of that demographic changes and climate crisis and all the all the change that we're in the middle of right now. And it just means that every single thing that we do, there's so much at stake in our actions and our inaction. And so I will say that we have to find a balance and not overextend our energy and we have to ask more of ourselves than maybe other generations have had to in this country. How do you how do you maintain? Um, I don't want to say a positive attitude because that sounds ridiculous. Like who gives a fuck about a positive attitude? But I just mean like <laughs> how do you maintain optimism? Uh, your commitment. Mm-hmm. Your commit. Not not even optimism because you can be pessimistic and still and still do good in the world. But mm-hmm. how do you just resilience? That's it. That's the word mm, I'm looking for. That's really How do you maintain word. resilience? I love that word, resilience. Um, I actually feel, wake up feeling so inspired and on purpose every day because um, two things. One is the women that I work with are so resilient. I mean, literally the day after the election in 2016 when Everybody knew that immigrants were going to be targeted in this administration. Literally undocumented immigrants in my membership on the phone that night being like, what are we going to do? What's the next step? What's the? F- we're ready. We're ready to fight. We're ready to go. Mm. And the level of courage and um, tenacity is just endlessly inspiring. And what I'm seeing is people coming out of the woodwork wanting to be on the right side of history, wanting to know what more they can do. I mean, women in particular have not just been marching and running for office and winning in unprecedented numbers. They want, and they're not tired. They want to do more. They want to organize. They want to win. They want to, they've been first responders and they actually are on track to help us take back the country. And I'm just seeing the growing power behind forces for good in this country, and it inspires me. And as somebody who is a professional activist, like I also feel really fortunate to have a life that has offered me the tools to know what to do in a crisis like this. There's a ton of people who are like, oh my God, another shooting, another this. Like, what do we do? And feel so lost and hopeless and I feel like I, I actually know what we should do. And hmm. um, and that is a tremendous amount of responsibility and it's motivational. Um, and the thing about optimism that my grandmother told me, she's instilled 
optimism in me from the time I was six months old. And what she said, she's somebody who's lived through war and displacement and poverty and migration and all the things. And she always said that if all you see is darkness, you can't see the way forward. Mm. And for me, I'm like always looking for the way out of no way and that light yeah you know and i think that that optimism is is actually really important for that what we do with every guest is we have a lightning round of life's big questions some of our favorite questions that keep us up at night and keep okay. us scratching our head. So describe your soul in 10 words or less. Uh, bright and uh, porous. Bright oh. and porous? Like it's like a we sponge have lamp? I don't know. That's, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Sorry. It's and just what came to me. <laughs> what do you hope happens after you die? Oh, that we, everybody has everything they need to care for their families and care for the people who care for us, too. What's one thing you know for sure? That we will win. And finally, what is your life's big question? How to make this country realize its promise. Beautiful. Ai Jin Poo, thank you so much for spending time with us. This was incredibly thought-provoking and heart-provoking. Thank you you so much for having me. It was so fun talking to you guys. That was a that was pretty pretty serious and sober episode. That really affected my heart. You know, here's the thing about hanging out with iGen. I mean, I've known her for a little while. You spend five minutes with her, and you can't help but feel better, like feel more optimistic, feel more. I feel better now than I did before the conversation started. Like I want to be a better person. Yeah, I want to reach out to people more. I want to see people more and deeper, right? Well, maybe you out there, dear listener, have uh, a similar story of either finding empathy for somebody that you didn't expect to or, or losing empathy for someone. Let us know. Let us know about it. Folks, as you know, we often end our shows by asking you to rate and review us. And we tell you that if you put your life's big question in that review, who knows? We might have you come on the show and you can ask us that question and maybe we'll have an answer for you. Maybe we can fix all of your problems. (laughs) We're not a self-help podcast, Reza. Jesse Valencia wrote a wonderful a uh, review had a fascinating question for us, and here he is joining us now. Jesse, welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake. Hi, guys. Hi, Jesse. I just want to say your name is so awesome. Jesse Valencia is either like a hitman, an action star, or a porn name. What's your question, Jesse? Is consciousness the result of chemical accidents in material reality? Or has material reality itself been willed into existence by consciousness? Oh, Jesse, you're asking our favorite question, you know. Oh, I love that one. You're clearly a fan of this show. Yeah. Consciousness, first of all, let's define terms a little bit. And I think that, Reza, you could help with this. Um, Because sometimes when people think about consciousness, they think about, oh, my thought process, right? But if you dig a little bit deeper, 
Our consciousness is made up of not just our thought process, it's our perceptions and how that then is triggered by a memory. And then we're humming a song slowly in our head. And then we're noticing something about our body and we're shifting our body. And we look outside and see the sunset and that changes our consciousness, right? But that's not even the limit. Then you dig deeper and consciousness is that spark of aliveness that drives us that is beyond thought and beyond feeling because one thing that we can do is step above our thought process. We can notice ourselves thinking. Sometimes you notice like you're in a worried, anxious thinking and you kind of go, God, I'm in a worried, anxious thinking. Why am I turning that over and over in my head? Well, that's a consciousness that's greater than your thought process. So it goes, the, the, when you start to dig into what consciousness is, it goes even deeper than what I'm describing. Reza, take it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's perfectly said. I mean, I guess like the shorthand for it is awareness of the self, right? Um, you know, Descartes famously uh, put it this way, right? Cogito ergo sum, right? I am thinking, therefore I am. So it's like the knowledge that you are perceiver and thinker. Um, and, you know, as, as we've talked a, a lot about on this show, it's a... It's a massive mystery. You know, what do they what do they call it, Rain? The big problem or the Yeah, the 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 hard problem of consciousness. Yeah, because we just we don't know how to to think about it, how to define it. We don't know where it comes from, how it works. Or why we have it, Reza. Like or does why it, we have it. Does it, how does it help us evolutionarily to have, you know, thoughts and feelings merging with memories and perceptions and then um, on our heart soars, and then we sing a song and write a poem. How does that help us survive? I mean, scientifically, we don't know how to map it. Philosophically, we don't know how to how to talk about it. And when you do talk about it, philosophically speaking, th shit gets weird real fast. I mean, oh, absolutely. Descartes is a perfect example of this. Descartes, you know, started t trying to figure out, you know, uh, consciousness and ended up essentially accidentally proving that nothing exists in the world except the thinker, right? That like, I guess I'm the only being that exists and you're all just, you know, perceptions that my consciousness has, has created. But to your point, yeah, look, we're getting to the place now where, you know, science and particularly cognitive science is so focused on being able to map every experience, every emotion, right? Everything that happens to us is just a result of complex electrochemical, you know, um, interactions in the brain. And so maybe that's what consciousness is. It's just this kind of material thing. And as we've talked about on this show before, well, then if that's the case, then you could, if you can map consciousness, you know, in the human brain, then can you recreate it in an artificial brain? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Then what does that mean about us as human beings? Or is there anything that's special about us anymore? Those electrical processes and the things that compose us how we are, is it that those are things that are happening inside of us? Or is there some sub-level of consciousness that has sort of willed that into existence? So that, it, And that's just the means by which different beings are aware say if you're a plant or if you're a human being or if you're an animal or of some sort, is there, is it that how we are aware of ourselves, is that a chemical accident? Well, it would be if you just subscribe to materialist perspectives, mm -hmm. you know, of, of reality, but 
I think there's a deeper level where, you know, you know, a lot of things about like Vedanta or I'm probably mispronouncing that completely. No, that's the Vedantic right. philosophy or Vedic philosophy that drives like the TM movement or something like that, you know, for, coming from that perspective, it would be that there is like this super soul kind of residing under everything and everything else kind of vibrates upwards from it. So I was just curious to hear what your guys' uh, ideas might, uh, behind that might be considering your different backgrounds and traditions. It's such a great question. I don't have any answers around this, obviously. But when I think about God, again, we defined terms around consciousness. When I think about God, um, so often people who say they don't believe in God have a very different definition of those who do believe in God. If I believe that the the universe... And by the universe, I mean the multiplicity of universes, by infinite universes yes. folding one on top of another and within each other and without each other, that there is a consciousness pervading all of these universes, then this consciousness would birth vis-a-vis, -vis, uh, you know, material tools, i.e., you know, a cerebral cortex and neurons and chemicals and whatnot, would create consciousness as a mirror of this universal consciousness. So each of our tiny consciousnesses, I don't know that we make up the universal consciousness, but we certainly reflect the universal consciousness. So I think there's a dance between the physical and the spiritual, and it goes back and forth. It's like Rumi said, the ocean in a drop, right? That's right. I like to sometimes just replace consciousness with the word soul, because they they kind of mean the same thing for me. I know that soul tends to be spiritualized, and consciousness, you know, perhaps is a little bit more scientific in the way that we think about it. But if you think about consciousness as awareness of self, and if you believe as I believe and as Rain believes that that the self, like who we are at our core, is eternal, right? Then you can think of consciousness as being synonymous with soul. Um, and so it to me that kind of transforms it, it gives it gives the concept of consciousness the spiritual weight that I think it deserves um and and it takes it away a little bit from kind of what you're saying Jesse this idea of thinking about it solely as a product of material you know elements right now I'm not saying that they can't be both you know we 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 do not subscribe to those simple you know substance dualism ideas that that you know, uh, if if the soul is a real thing, then it is part of the material experience. You don't have to sort of divorce it from the material world. But nevertheless, I do think that thinking about it in those terms kind of shifts the way that you consider the meaning and the power uh, of what, what consciousness truly is and, and what role it plays in the human condition. Absolutely. You blew our minds, Jesse. You blew my mind. You blow my mind every week. I love this show. <laughs> Jesse Valencia, if that is your real name, thank you so much for joining us on Metaphysical Milkshake. Thank you, guys. Hit us up on Twitter, guys, at MetaMilkPodcast, at Reza Aslan, at Rain Wilson, hashtag Metaphysical. Talk to us about deepening compassion. Do you have any tips? Do you have any questions related to this issue? How can we bring visibility to the invisible? Thank you again to our incredible guest today, Ai-jen Poo. 
And uh, listeners, we'll catch you next week with another incredible guest and another amazing, mind-bending episode of Metaphysical Milkshake. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. It is edited by Tyler Newbold and audio mixed by Justin Kyle. Original music by Jeff Tang. It was additionally executive produced by Golriz Lucina and Dariush Brizuela Nothaft. It was produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lehrer of the Mashup Americans. Associate producers are Jocelyn Gonzalez, Lindsay Cradowell, Sarah Pellegrini, Mary Phillips Sandy, and Shelby Sandlin. Here's another thing that you should know about iGen is that uh, she is a, a MacArthur Genius uh, fellow. She's like Ooh. literally a genius. And while, you know, that's how do, how do nice. Get, how do you apply for that? Well, that's exactly, that's what I was going to say is like, I feel like I'm not dumb. I mean, what's up, MacArthur people? It's Can not you, hard to, my email is, there, is easy to find. Is it, do you go to like MacArthurGenius.com and fill out a survey or something like that? How do you get that? Do you I get don't that? know. I don't feel like they'd ever give it to character actors. Like, oh, <laughs> oh the guy who played Dwight, he's not a that genius. That guy's definitely a genius. I want to Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.